one of my favorite parts of Scripture to read are the conversations that Jesus has with individuals. When I was an early teacher in the Baltimore County Public Schools, I went there as a missionary for Christ to serve and to proclaim Christ as I was a teacher of, in uh, general science and biology. And I encountered one of the teachers there at Lansdowne Middle School where I first started. And he was not a Christian, but he appreciated Jesus as a great teacher. And that Jesus is. Certainly when we take the time to see the conversations that he has, and particularly as we will look at the one this morning with this young man that Jesus encounters, that he is a great teacher. He is the best teacher. But like that teacher that I worked with at Lansdowne Middle School, this young man also missed the most important thing about Jesus, is that he is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. He is our Mediator. He is the one who enables us to be at peace with God as we come and trust in his righteousness by the wonderful gift of faith. So I'd like you to think about a couple other circumstances where Jesus is dealing with questions that are asked of him. I picked just a few. In John 6, 28, Jesus is asked, what must we do to do the works God requires? That's a great question. And Jesus has a most penetrating answer. He answered, the work of God is this, believe in the one whom he has sent. While some of us might make this huge list of all the things that we could do to do the work of God, Jesus narrows it like a laser beam. It is to believe in the one whom God has sent. Believe in me. In Matthew 22, verse 36, he's asked the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the laws? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love the Lord Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Summarizing that which was presented in the Old Testament, Jesus brings it to life here for us in the gospel according to Matthew. There's another one. Some of the Pharisees and Herodians approach Jesus to ask him a question. They're trying to trick him, to trip him up to cause him to say something that would either get him in trouble with the Roman authorities or with the people of Israel. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? And they thought they had him good. That no matter what he would say, he would be caught and be either showing preference to the Romans or deference to the Israelite laws. Jesus, again, skillfully answers these men who are trying to trick him into saying something they think that will badly affect him. So Jesus goes and says, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and Jesus asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God. What is God's? 
And in today's passage, we have a man coming to Jesus to ask a question about eternal life. It's an important question. But unfortunately, like in too many situations, sometimes when we approach God, we think we have the answer. And this young man, I believe, thought he had the answer. He was just looking for some specific direction. So he comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? That is a great question. Wouldn't you love it if one of your friends that is not in Christ yet would come up to you and say, Hey, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Some of us would maybe shock and fall back, but hopefully we would jump for joy in our souls and say, How much time do you have? Can we talk? Turning them to some passage here or there. What would you like to know? What a great question to be asked. Jesus responds using a question of his own to confront this man whose presumed spiritual self-confidence rests on his own illusion of himself and his perceived righteousness. He is terribly wrong in thinking he could do enough in any way to obligate God to himself, to gain eternal life. And Jesus said to the young man, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. The man said to Jesus, which ones? It is an interesting response by the man, as if he was thinking that there, were, there may be some commandments that he has kept fully, and maybe some others that he could add to his list of accomplishments. So Jesus said, you shall not murder, You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Some of us might recognize these as what is sometimes referred to as the second tablet of the law. This is the ones that come after the first four. But let's be reminded of the whole. I'm just going to read through a summarized version of the Ten Commandments. God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down, you shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet what your neighbor has. Notice that Jesus, in his precise response, does not include these first four commandments. He chose only to present the last six commandments to the young man as commandments to be obeyed. And he took the fit, the tenth, thou shalt not covet, and he gave it the broader look of loving your neighbor as yourself. Listen to the man's response. It may be said to be much like what we may at times think or say about ourselves. The young man said to Jesus, 
All these I have kept. What do I still lack? I've done that. What else do you want me to do? It is remarkable that he really thinks that he has accomplished all that is involved with these six commandments. He is too easily forgetting what was revealed to God's people through the Old Testament. God made it clear, abundantly clear, that he is unapproachable except through a mediator. Sacrifices of various kinds, especially blood sacrifices, were needed in all circumstances throughout the Old Testament before a person could approach God in any manner of worship. This is summarized by the author in Hebrews 9.22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We cannot approach God in any way, shape, or form on our own perceived righteousness. We've gathered here this morning, as been abundantly clear in our order of worship, we approach God through Christ as we have been given the gift of faith to believe. And our trust is in his righteousness, not ours. And because of that, we are welcomed in abundantly by the wonderful love of God, our Heavenly Father. With this man's self-focused response, Jesus could easily have challenged him by asking if he always honors his father and mother. Did he always speak well about others and not ever bear any false witness against another person? He could question him on whether or not he always thought well of others without any malice or covetousness because Jesus made it clear that even when we are wrongly thinking about someone or something, that is breaking God's law. Jesus described on the Sermon on the Mount that a man can lust in his heart, and that is as adultery. What we think matters. This man needed an accurate look into a real of his soul from it as well. Law, a different mirror, man compared to man cause this man that in the midst of he is confronted with the truth you shall have no kept the last six acts go to the poor follow me jesus confronted this young man with his own idolatry his wealth and his self-righteousness this man's eyes were wrongly on what he thought he could do to gain god's favor and missed Understanding that all that could be done to know God's pleasure and eternal peace is completed in Jesus Christ and embraced through God's gift of faith. As one theologian put it, Jesus, the master teacher, told the man who trusted in his own strength to be strong and fully obey the law. This goes well with one of the first questions mentioned at the beginning. It followed a directive by Jesus on what is most important for each of us in this world. Jesus started in John chapter 6, verse 28, saying, Do not work for food that spoils. This came after him doing one of his mass feedings. But for food that endures to eternal life. Because there were people there that followed Jesus simply because they now had their bellies full. Which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father 
has placed his seal of approval. Then Jesus was asked, as we heard earlier, what must we do to do the works God requires? This is something that's wonderful, I think, for us to, if not paste on the mirror in our bathroom, but to paste on our, in our mind on a regular basis. What do we do that truly is the work of God? And Jesus says, the work of God is this. Believe in the one whom he has sent. To trust him, no matter what the circumstances prevail in our lives. When the young man heard this command of Jesus to sell his possessions and give them to the poor, then come and follow me, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. The young man goes away sad because he treasures more the wealth he possesses than what God and Jesus Christ alone can provide for him. This reminded me of a situation in my life years ago. When I was in seminary, Kathy and I were married, but we didn't have any children yet, and I, we became foster parents for a teenager. At one point, as he had stolen from us on a variety of occasions, God gave me the wisdom to tell him one time as we were talking about it. And I said, Norm, you cannot steal from us more than what we want to give you. And that was God's wisdom speaking to me, the norm at that point, but it was also needful for me to hear that regularly in my life. This young man that was approaching Jesus in a way was trying to take from God by him doing these works that he think would, thinks would have been enough to gain eternal life when God has more to give through Christ, than we could ever attain on our own. In a sense, really stealing from God and His glory by thinking what we do on our own is worthy of that righteousness. Jesus now clarifies with His disciples what has just happened. As we see from the disciples' reactions, they really did not understand what had just taken place. It seems from how they responded to Jesus, they are surprised the encounter with the young man ended as it did. Imagine looking at someone with such promise, such determination, such desire. Jesus simply gave the man the requirement he desired, that one thing more to make him complete in his devotion to God. But instead of choosing God, the man clung to his possessions and turned from God. This is quite different from when Jesus came across his first disciples. The very ones who would be with him at this point. As recorded in Matthew 4, 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking along beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, Jesus saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father 
and follow Jesus. Each of us face similar choices in our lives where we will be called to decide whom will I follow? Will it be myself or will it be God and Jesus Christ? No matter what the cost or the sacrifice. It may be a decision at work. Do I do this that is honoring to God or do I do this which I'm asked to do that I'm uncomfortable with from my supervisor? We face these decisions probably on a moment-by-moment basis, but at least in a daily way. Jesus described this on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, as recorded in Matthew seven thirteen through 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now Jesus continues with his disciples and describes how difficult it is for someone to have eternal life by their own good deeds. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The largest common animal in the Middle East at that time is the, ca- is the camel. And one of the smallest openings is the eye of a needle. Jesus uses this mental picture. Can you get it a little bit? This huge animal and this tiny opening. How can we fit it in? There might even be some among us or maybe in the audience that was there that say, well, there might be a way. It is truly impossible, Jesus uses this type of hyperbole to describe, that it's truly impossible for someone who holds on to their own devices, possessions, and strength to enter the kingdom of heaven. Proverbs highlights this for us, this reality when it declares in Proverbs 18, verses 10 and 11, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it, and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. This means God is a sure thing, while wealth's fortification for the rich is only in their imagination. Wealth, we should never forget, is good. Jesus is not saying anything contrary to that. Wealth is good and beneficial to the kingdom of God. He is the giver of all good gifts, isn't he? And that which you have been blessed with, with a good job, a a good uh, living that benefits this congregation and benefits many others around the world, is good and right. Clinging to wealth for one's security above God is not good. Wealth of all kinds, money, skills, intelligence, physical strength, and the like are all good gifts, and should be used for the glory of God, the blessing and benefit of others, and to the furthering of the kingdom. And I'd like to use one example from our, the Ziegler's life, and also use this as an opportunity to say thank you. One example of this is close to home. During the first couple months of Kathy's recovery from her stroke, we had an outpouring of gifts in many forms. 
from Kathy's labor and delivery crew at Holy Spirit Hospital, from proclamation at large, and from private anonymous gifts from individual members of the congregation and people in our community. One one anonymous gift from someone in this congregation was for a rather large sum of money. This gift, as well as many others, overwhelmed us with love and thankfulness. Many people made the loving choice in this instance with our need to glorify God and use their money, their time, and their talents to help us. It was not used to gain God's favor, but rather to show forth his love and care for us. This type of loving giving to the glory of God is multiplied untold times around the world by brothers and sisters in Christ, doing and giving and helping to the glory of God, sacrificing in a multitude of ways. When the disciples heard that this young man walked away, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Disciples were puzzled. If this very committed man who showed such promise and determination can't be saved, then who could? Jesus again makes it clear that the answer to this question is God alone can do it. Just as Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead by simply speaking, just as God in the Old Testament brought a valley of dry bones to life where there was no life in them at all, and just like God established the creation of this world simply by creating it out of nothing, speaking, and it was. God in Jesus Christ alone brings eternal life to all whom he chooses. For us today who are in Christ by God's gracious gift of faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can, unlike the young man in this passage, be thankful when God convicts us of sin. We need not go away sad as he did. We certainly should grieve over our sin as the Holy Spirit shows us and commit to turn from it. That's what repent means. It's an about face as a military command. But we are not left to ourselves as this young man saw himself. And our own devices to deal with our sin as this young man. Instead, we can cry out to God even more. Seek his forgiveness and hold ever tighter to Jesus as we trust fully in his righteousness alone for our salvation and peace before God. As you hear and meditate on the good news of Jesus Christ, that peace with God is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Come to him, because he is calling his sheep. He is looking for his sheep, and he promises to find every one of them and bring each one home safely. Jesus proclaims this as recorded in a few verses found in Matthew eleven twenty-five through 30, and I thought it was providential that Colin 
initiated the service with this passage. And I'm going to close this sermon with that very same passage that I hope is one that each of us will keep close, keep it in your pocket, have it regularly to be remembered. Please hear these words every moment of every day and make the eternal choice to regularly choose God and Jesus Christ and follow the narrow way instead of taking the wide road of our own devices, which leads to destruction. The author of Proverbs proclaimed this as well. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Yet Jesus' way is eternally different because he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father and those whom the Son chooses to reveal reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen.